I want to start into a series uh, called The Jesus Community. And uh, I don't know about your life, but my life is pretty much disrupted right now. And particularly for me as a pastor, I cannot think of any time in which our leadership as a church has been more disrupted than it has been since really the second week of March. Nothing is normal. Nothing is the same. Nothing that we've relied on is available. It, it's just been very disrupted. Any of you identify uh, with that? Those of you that have uh, your children imprisoned in your house every day instead of sending them to school, you know this you know, firsthand that uh, life is disrupted. A lot of your businesses have been disrupted, opening, closing, opening, closing, and uh, there, there's a lot of that going on. But for me as a pastor, um, you know, this has been a most unusual time. They never had a, a class in seminary on leading a church through a pandemic day by day. You know, we just did, didn't, don't know um, how you would train for a time like this. But in the middle of this, I felt like the Lord wrestling with me on something. And, and you know, when the Lord wrestles with you, he always wins. But, but most of us still have a tendency to fight for our life, you know, back until he, he sort of causes this yielding. And he's been wrestling with me on this question. Stop longing for church to return to normal. Stop longing for church to return to normal. Instead, use this season to allow the church to become more of what it should be. I believe that this COVID-19 season, although I, I, I do pray against the spread of this pandemic, I pray against every evil force that is using this time to do all sorts of other things within our society and our planet, I, 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 we should stand against it, it, its progress in Jesus' name, right? At the same time, God never wastes a good crisis. And in the midst of this, he is after good for his church. And this is what I believe that he's brought to the forefront, is that the Western church and the church in the United States has become overly dependent on meeting on Sunday mornings to try to accomplish the mission that he gave to us. And by taking away the ability to gather on Sunday mornings as we've known it, it has exposed certain weaknesses in our in our following of Jesus's commands and instructions for our lives because we felt it a little too much, like everything was gone. And I say this is that I would go to jail and may have to for defending the essential right and need of Sunday morning type gatherings. I believe it is critical, and it is so, there's something that occurs here among us in joining in worship and in yielding together to God's word that is uniquely done in this environment, and it is essential for our life, amen? amen. But at the same time, two things in particular that Jesus mandated us to be as his people are not accomplished very well in this environment. We've asked this environment to carry too much of what it means to really be a community that follows Jesus. And the first one is truly to be a Jesus community, to truly have a depth of relationship 
with each other, of truly knowing each other, being committed to each other, being linked with each other, because it doesn't happen very well when you're all facing one direction on a Sunday morning, sitting six to 10 feet apart. And I, I love saying hi, I love waving for those that that's your limit of comfortability or a fist bump or a handshake or a hug if you're comfortable with it. I, I love the passing element of relationship that occurs on Sunday morning, but it is not the depth of relationship that Jesus called his church to be. And so I believe in this time that God is highlighting to us the need to truly be a Jesus community, to re-examine what, what was he trying to create when he said, I'm gonna create a community of people that is going to heal the problems of this world and the way this world is set up. And we want to explore that over the next few weeks. And then uh, the other thing is that it's the Jesus Commission. When we gather together on a Sunday morning and we powerfully experience his presence and we grow in his word and we affirm our affection for each other, it, it's, it's wonderful for those that are within the four walls of a church, but it is really having very little transforming power on those who are not here. And although Sunday morning re remains the number one time in America where people are introduced with Jesus, if it was enough, a lot more people would be coming to Jesus and currently know him, right? And so there is an element here that the church has not been engaged enough outside of Sunday morning in the community, loving people, witnessing to people, engaging people, lifting the poor, and that when we have lost our reason for existing, because we can't get together on a Sunday morning, I believe it reveals an immaturity in our vision of what it means to be a Christian. And we wanna explore more the Jesus Commission that we really wanna be people who are impacting the lives of others, particularly those that need Jesus. But today I wanna to start with the Jesus community, friends unlike each other. And Jesus calls his disciples together in Mark chapter three at the beginning of his ministry. And this is what it says in verses 13 to 14. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called him, called to him those whom he desired and he came to them. You know, you are here because God desired you. He has a personal value and affection for you. And so he's called you to him. Going on, and Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus called these 12 to him, first of all, so that they could have a fellowship relationship with him, that they might be with him. But that wasn't the end. Then having been with him, he also called them together so that he might send them out with a message that this world had not heard before and who have authority over every demonic power that hurts the lives of human beings. But this group that he called together were friends unlike each other. He appointed the 12, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, Sons of thunder. When, when Jesus gives you a name, that name has a lot of meaning about who you are and how, how God is going to be active in your life. Along with them, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, the tax collector, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
We'll look in, in a while how, how unusual a collection of people this was that Jesus called to form the family of God. But uh, before that, let's just remind ourselves of the words of Dr. Martin Luther King back in 1960. And watch this video. I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. Uh, I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated, and any church that uh, stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ and it fails to be a true witness. Uh, but this is something that the church will have to do itself. I don't think church integration will come through uh, legal processes. I might say that my church is not a segregating church. It's segregated, but not segregating. It would welcome white members. So Dr. King said in 1960, he said, I think it is one of the most, one of the tragedies of our nation one of the most shameful tragedies that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. Any church that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and teachings of Jesus Christ and fails to be a true witness. And I believe that in the 60 years since he spoke that, the church has come a long way we really have very few churches that have a whites only or blacks only or Hispanic only or Asian only sign on the front of their door. And we, we have tried to come into understanding what it means to not have racism within the church and, and not have a, a, a division and a segregation. However, although our policy and our printed material may say one thing, when you look around the average church today, how far have we come? Or maybe the better question, have we come far enough? Or even today, is a church gathering most likely to be the most segregated experience in your life compared to the school that you go to or to your workplace? Are we still dividing ourselves in a way that does not fully reflect the spirit of Christ? the Jesus community. They were from opposite political views with conflicting personality types and a wide array of ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Yet Jesus called as a community of friends those who are unlike each other as a sign of a divine love that would break the power of demons and change the destiny of the world. In this group that, we've, that he called together, he was giving us a sign of what the church, this new community was going to be. And in a world then and now, which is, it's, its very existence is threatened by division and hate and disunity, he was trying to create a power that could bring healing and salvation to the world as a prophetic act. He drew those who were politically from the right and politically from the left. 
Matthew, the tax collector, was a representative of the Roman government. People don't like paying taxes, and particularly people don't like paying taxes to a government they completely disagree with. That was his job. He was a Roman tax collector. If you're watching the Chosen video series, it's a pretty good, good picture you know, of, of his uh, personality and his isolation. Jesus called him, and also Simon the Zealot. Now, the zealots were seeking to overthrow Roman rule. There were all sorts of different groups. And among these, the groups, there were some that were less violent, but there were some that were very violent. The violent group was called the Sicarii, named after the, the Roman dagger, the uh, Sicar. And they would go into public places as terrorists and assassinate leaders with their daggers. And many people think that the name Iscariot, in Judas Iscariot, the Iscariot is... Uh, is from um, Sicari, indicating that Judas might have actually been an, an assassin revolution, and Jesus called him. So an IRS agent and a member of Antifa go to the same Bible study. And if they are simply applying their human mind and logic to prove out of the written scripture who is right and who is wrong, that Bible study is going to last about, I don't know, I give it about seven minutes. But in this case, he was there. Jesus was there. And as Matthew comes into this circle and his political arch enemies, Simon and Judas, come into the circle and they begin to experience the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. People who ought not to be able to survive a conversation were formed into a brand new community that we'd be commissioned with authority over every demonic force that hindered the well-being of man and the advance of the kingdom of God. Jesus intentionally drew together as a family people of very different political points of view. How are we doing as his church today? How quickly do we ostracize people? We don't simply unfriend them, we just blast them. When they express a point of view politically that is different than ours, and we know that they are bought with the same blood of Jesus as we are, and are going to the same place in heaven as we are, but yet here on earth. But Jesus came to create a community that was different from this world, drew those that were very different from each other. They also had different personality disorders. So James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brothers of James, to whom Jesus gave the name Bonarges, that is the sons of thunder, these guys are challengers. They, 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 they speak and react and process later. 
loyal, fierce towards the cause, valuable in certain circumstances, unless you go to a Samaritan village and you introduce by yourself saying, we come in peace to bring you the gospel of the peaceful God who wants to reconcile all people. But if you reject the gospel, then immediately they're saying, and Jesus should be called down fire from heaven. They're Enneagram 8s. Well, John might be a 2 having a bad day and moving towards his 8-ness, you know, but, but they are challengers here. And Jesus invites them into this circle, into this community, along with Thomas, the investigator, the doubter, the one who has to have the full, clear plan laid out on laid out before him so he doesn't overcommit his energy. Even after Jesus rises from the dead and walks through a wall, Thomas is still asking for a little more proof before he fully commits his life to follow him. Well, I gotta put my finger into his wounds. You put a challenger and an investigator into the same small group? How's that gonna work? Unless that group is gathered around the person of Jesus. And then suddenly those differences become things that we can learn from each other, that we can appreciate in each other, that help balance us out as a family. And there is room for every personality type around the person of Jesus as there should be in the church of Jesus Christ. To us investigators, challengers are just crazy people. And to challengers, investigators are just people who talk a lot and never get anything done. Jesus called them both to be part of what community is supposed to be. Jesus dies, rises from the dead, and the same characteristic continues on in the disciples that continue to gather. We know that up in Antioch, uh, there was a church uh, there in northern Syria, and this is how it's described uh, in the book of Acts. Now, there were in the church of Antioch up in Syria, prophets and teachers. Now that itself is a miracle because if you've ever gotten together people with a prophetic gifting and people with a teaching gifting, they normally just go immediately to two different rooms because we don't know what you're talking about. Because the prophetic uh, individual, they normally get that impression or leading first from the Spirit of God and then they walk it out by testing it up in, in Scripture. Whereas teachers normally extract from Scripture first truth, and then we wait for the confirmation of the Spirit upon our hearts. So in the end, we land up at the same place, but at the beginning, we don't know what planet you're from. And right there, even this diversity of gifting was present. But beyond that, there is such ethnic differences in this group gathered together. We had Barnabas, who was a Jew from the island of Cyprus, right out in the middle of the Mediterranean. We had Simeon, who is called Niger. That's a Latin uh, word for black, and he is likely from Central Africa, dark. There's Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is a city in Libya. Libya is in, in up in the uh, uh, north coast 
of Africa. Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, he's part of Israel's government, probably uh, economically much better off, educationally much better off uh, than others around him. And then we had Saul, who was a diaspora Jew from uh, the city in southeast Turkey. Uh, if you think about that part of the globe today, if you just walk your way around um, the the northern part of Africa and knowing what's going on in Central Africa, you walk your way up to the Middle East, uh, Israel and Syria, you walk away around to Turkey uh, and those islands. That is the most ethnically at war part of the world that has continued to be at war for centuries, right? And yet, the Jesus community puts them all in the same room together. goes on and says, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they had their, laid their hands on them and they sent them out. Although they were from different parts of the world, there were different languages that they all spoke, different cultures. Once they were all praying in the Spirit, in the Spirit-inspired language of God, there came a unity that declared God's clear purpose for bringing the gospel to you and me, to the Gentiles. And in the authority of that unity, there's a place of commanded blessing when brethren dwell together in unity. When they laid their hands upon us, uh, Barnabas and upon Paul from all different ethnicities, but praying together as one. They commissioned them to save hundreds of thousands of lives in the missionary journeys that exploded from that church. See, when we function as the people of God, as a community that God intended, there comes an authority upon our lives because we are not simply a gathering like the rest of people who gather together, but we are gathered around a sacred love that makes our differences not over, insurmountable obstacles to unity, but actually the very power of unity itself. Amen. This is the Jesus community. And Paul summarizes it in this way in his letter to the Corinth, uh, Corinth uh, to the Colossians. He says, here in Christ and in the body of Christ, there is not Jew and Greek and circumcised and uncircumcised and barbarian, Scythian and slave and free, but Christ is all. Whatever defines us and labels us and identifies us in our natural life, it fades away when we come around the person of Jesus because then Christ is all. Christ is what defines us now and is our primary identity. And therefore Christ, I see Christ in all. Paul says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, though from very different backgrounds, I've added that little explanation, you're holy and you're beloved, all of you. Put on then a compassionate heart and kindness towards each other in humility and meekness and show patience towards each other. Bearing with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together 
in perfect harmony. You're all from different backgrounds. Paul acknowledges that. Some of you are Jews. Some of you are Gentiles. Some of you are from different Gentile sectors of, of the globe. Some of you are slaves. Some of you are free. You're from different economic spectrums. You're from different so- places of social status. And it is going to be challenging for you guys to get along and be one body in Christ in your community, but put on love. And forgive each other when you clash, when you don't understand, when you have some tensions. Bear with each other. Take the time to not simply react, but take the time to grow in love because this is what binds everything together in a perfect cord of harmony. All of you playing distinct notes, all of you having a different part of the scale that is being played, but you're being played together to form a harmony that only is the sound of heaven. This planet needs the sound of heaven like never before. And it is not only a new sound in worship, although I believe God is birthing and bringing that, but it is the sound of his church living in love, expressing a unity that human systems and human culture and human politics cannot achieve on its own. This is the Jesus community. Paul says when we fail to act in this way, we're just mere human beings. We're not those who reflect the power of the gospel and the resurrection spirit of Christ within our lives. He says you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not still worldly? You are not, are you not acting like mere humans. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? When our identity as believers is defined more by a human individual that we follow than by our common following of Jesus Christ, we give to the world a powerless church and an empty witness because we are just like everybody else, reflecting the voices of our culture and our times. But God is challenging us to say, be who you truly are. Stop acting like you are just regular human beings. You have the spirit of Christ. You have an ability to love that that others without the experience of a God who loved them so much that, that he came and he sought them found them and redeemed them, but you have this experience in your life and you can extend this experience to each other and not be only mere human beings. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, we looked at how he called together this group at the beginning, but now at the end of his ministry, his final words to them, after uh, the Last Supper, just before going to Gethsemane, he teaches them in John chapter 15, and he reminds them, this is my commandment, that you love one another. He's talking to the same group that was there uh, at the beginning of his ministry. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Matthew, as you have experienced my love these years we've walked together, I want you to love Simon the Zealot and Judas 
with the same love I loved you with. Even though their political view is coming from a very different place than your own. And Simon, you're a revolutionary. You're going to find out in a while that the revolution you're seeking is not accomplished by arms, but is accomplished by sacrificial love. But you're learning. But you know I've loved you all this time we've been together. And I want you to love Matthew, who works for the very government you seek to overthrow. I want you to love him with the same love I loved you with. And Peter, you're a bit of a hothead. John, you're a son of thunder. You guys react quick, think later. Maybe you'll ask permission one day, who knows? But Thomas is going to need you, and he's a processor. And I want you to love Thomas in the same way that I have loved you. And Thomas, these crazy people in your mind who I've put you with, they're going to be incredible witnesses of my resurrection. And I want you, you've experienced my love, Thomas, but I want you to love them as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and he lay down his life for his friends. If, if Jesus calls us to lay down our life for each other, certainly we can start by laying down our comfort and our preferences. You are my friends if you do what I command you, what I've commanded you, love one another. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you, and that you there is plural. I've called you together as friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is the Jesus community. People who have learned to love each other with the love that God has had for them, and they've experienced from God, and they have extended that love over all the different boundaries and walls that divide human society and is leading to its destruction. This is who we are called to be. Paul writes this in in Romans uh, chapter 14, again, a very ethnically diverse community. He says, welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they post on Facebook or they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems like they are strong on opinion and weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. How's our churches doing with this right now? And I love the message, you know, a translation. It sort of expands on Paul's thought there, but he's saying everyone has their own history. And before you react to their opinion, why don't you learn what in their history gives them that opinion and why they hold it so strongly. Because if you simply react to their opinion, you have no intimacy with them. You don't know them in any way. 
But even if your opinion is grating to me, if I figure out why you have that opinion and you hold it with such conviction or with such strength, I actually then can start to get to know you. And in that knowing you, I can find a way to love you, even if I don't love your opinion. We have to learn each other's history and not simply react to how we encounter each other in word and deed. The garden used to be called the Bakersfield Chinese Church. I don't know anybody else in the room right now that's qualifying for that, that name besides me. We changed it to the Bakersfield Community Church, and then we made a change when we moved into this building to call it the garden. And one of the driving reasons was this verse out of Genesis 2-9, which the Lord impressed in my heart. So, uh, there it says in the New Living Translation, the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that were produced delicious fruit in the middle of the garden. He placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when God planted the Garden of Eden, he planted there all sorts of trees. And, and I knew that God's call on this particular body was not going to be clearly lined up rows of all almond trees for acres and acres and acres. A lot of you guys just cannot actually stand in a straight line. I know that, you know, God has you here for a reason. But we were to be a place that reflected this image from God. We were to be a place of all sorts of different kinds of trees. Some may say different fruits and nuts, you know, but... Um, and, I, and as you look around many, many churches you will find that particularly the large, largest churches, when you walk in, and if you happen to fit that demographic, you'll find a whole bunch of people just like you. And I bless those churches. I don't judge God's call. God may have assigned their mission to a certain segment of our community. I don't have any, I'm just trying to follow God for our church. I don't have any time to judge anybody else. But what I know is that for us as a body, there is a mandate upon our lives to reflect that Jesus community that he called together in which he put together in one single family a bunch of people who should not ought to be in the same room together as a prophetic sign that we could find together a power of love and unity that will be a transforming agent in a world deeply divided and on its way literally to destruction and hell because of division, we could know and experience the love of God. And so even when we dedicated this, this was new at one point. And in 1996, I, 1995, 1996, I just lost a year, but that's my age. Um, we, we, this room, we dedicated it, and you can see me there in my, my tan, docker, front-pleated khakis. You know, those were a good pair of pants, you know, back in that day. Um, but but you, you also see here uh, an incredibly, a picture of an incredibly cheesy thing that we did at that time. It was the best that we could do. But to live out that belief that God wanted a multi-ethnic, multi-generation, diverse congregation here at the garden, we, we had a parade of people dressed in different ethnic costumes come up as a way of saying, this is the garden that we want to be. Hopefully our production values have increased since that time. 
but we were trying to agree with something the Spirit had put on our hearts, is that what would unite us as a church would not be our similarities in our politics, in our race, in our backgrounds, even to some degree our theologies and experience of God. What would unite us would be that we would come around the person and the presence of Jesus, and he would make us one, and that oneness would reach the nations of the earth. And during that, that pageant of the nations, <laughs> it was so bad, um, um, we sang this song. Would you read its lyrics with me? There is a place of commanded blessing where brethren in unity dwell, a place where anointing oil is flowing and we live as one. You've called us to be a body. You have called us as friends joined together in the bond of the spirit until the end. Father, we join with the prayer of Jesus as you are. So let us be one, joined together in unity and purpose all for the love of your son. We will break dividing walls. We will break dividing walls. We will break dividing walls in the name of your son. We will break dividing walls. We will break dividing walls. And we will be one. So at the garden, our sense of tribe is not determined as it is in secular society, by political allegiance, by personality compatibility, by our skin color or cultural origin. Jesus called as a community of friends those unlike each other. And from the beginning, it was hard work. The gospels are full of accounts of these disciples fighting. And the rest of um, the New Testament, the book of Acts and the letters is full of accounts of all these diverse people that are drawn together, fighting it out, but fighting towards a unity in Christ. And I believe that it remains the prophetic mandate of our church and the church of Jesus Christ today to have intentional unity and be the community that was on the heart of Jesus. And so here's my challenge to you. I forgot to ask you earlier, how many of you are, are, are ready for God to change you to be more like Jesus? It's a trick question, but put your hand up and, and agree, okay? So here's the thing I would, would ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to expand, examine. In your social circle, whether here at the garden or in a more extended way out in the community, How many people, unlike yourself, are in that circle? Are you intentionally building relationships with those of very different political opinion? Or do you just have a little echo chamber where you all agree on the same thing around and around in a circle? How many people of different nationality or ethnic backgrounds are you reaching to and intentionally drawing into a deep fellowship in Christ? How many people from a different socioeconomic background or educational experience are you intentionally building relationship with? How many people have different giftings than you are, or different spiritual experience, or different priority in their walk with Christ are you developing communication and relationship with? Are we truly being a Jesus community in our life? 
And as we invite the Holy Spirit to do that, not only for us as a church family, but also in our individual lives as members of this house, I believe that we will see his grace. I know, I believe right now that he's already positioned people in our life who are unlike us, who there is an opportunity to actually build a fresh relationship with or a deeper friendship with. We just haven't recognized them because their personality is so jarring compared to mine. Why would I ever try to spend time with them? They make me so anxious to be around them. But maybe they're there for a reason. Maybe that person who's different politically, maybe that person who, who sees things different or has a different experience in their background, maybe they're there waiting to have a spirit-empowered relationship be created with so that we could truly break dividing walls. The world is coming apart as it seems. Only the love of God is a bridge. The world is building all sorts of walls of division between ideas and concepts and nations. It is leading us towards massive global war and shortages, but it is the love of Christ that can show the way that says all walls come down because he is our peace who has broken down every wall of division. He invites us first to be his friends. And as you encounter people who don't know Jesus Christ, you can walk them through the simple process. And even if this morning, if you're listening online, welcome. Uh, and uh, those of you who are here, if, if you have not settled in your heart a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, just like he did his first disciples, it is the same process for us. As we need to admit, take responsibility for how we've hurt ourselves, how we've hurt others, how we've dishonored God then we need to believe. We believe in a God who loved us so much that he did not walk away from us in our sin, but he walked towards us and into our world, and his son died on a cross our size so that we could have freedom and eternal life. Then we need to make a commitment to him both as our Lord and our Savior. Following Jesus is not just a momentary high, but it's a lifelong commitment. And then we need to let other people know. We need to declare, share the good news that we've experienced with others, and also... Um, experience water baptism in front of our new family as a sign of declaring that Jesus is our Lord and Savior forever. But he's called us to be a family from all sorts of different backgrounds. May we experience that love more and more. Amen? Church family, would you stand? Let me pray, pray with us. Thank you for letting us go a little long this morning, but I just love, love letting worship run a bit this morning and uh, how God blesses her, but uh, just uh, extend your hands. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to be aligned to your original design for the church. And Lord, where you, weaknesses have been exposed in this season of uh, COVID-19, Lord, you don't expose anything unless you want to heal and strengthen it. So Father, come now in the name of Jesus and build a Jesus community in a greater way than ever before here at the garden. Lord, and let us, in this um, step, let us be those that intentionally build relationships with those that, in the natural, we might not have much affinity with. We may actually be uncomfortable being around, but Lord, you be in the midst of all our friendships and our relationships and draw us together, Father, in a love that can display to the world the answer that we need right now. So bless us, Father, deepen our friendships, cause us to move more into who you've designed us to be, and then send us out with a message 
that transforms lives for eternity and has power over every demonic force that resists the goodness of God. Bless this church family in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys this morning. Samuel comes to dismiss us.